This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is America on the Road, named best radio show by the International Automotive Media Conference, and now in its 30th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. And thanks for joining us for this special edition of America on the Road, coming to you directly from the North American car that you're testing in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Weber's Hotel in Ann Arbor. With me is fellow North American Car of the Year juror, Matthew Lorenzo. Matt, thanks so much for being with us. It's great to be here in person with you, Jack. Yeah. Better, yeah, it's a lot better than, than Skype. So well, here we are. Happy to, to be here. We'll see if it, it is at the end of the, uh, okay. the hour, but uh, I hope so. Certainly an eventful week in the car industry. Not only are we doing North American Car of the Year, but there's a giant strike going on. We're kind of at ground zero of that here in Ann Arbor, uh, right outside Detroit. I mean... What's your overall take on what's going on with the, the UAW strike? Well, I, I think a lot of it is, is a power play on the part of the union to become relevant again. <laughs> and, and unfortunately, they've made some rather high demands, 40% pay increase, four-day work week, stuff that the management will never, ever you know, accede to. They are making progress. I mean, the last time uh, they went around, they got 23% raise. But the, the uh, UAW um, chairman or, or president of the UAW is really intent on, on making a political statement. So this isn't necessarily, in part it's about the workers and their, and their uh, benefits and pay, but the larger issue is all about politics. Yeah. Well, and UAW used to represent most of American car workers, and now most American car workers are not represented by unions. They're working for foreign-badged or foreign-owned car companies that have plants here right. in the United States. It's a big different landscape, isn't it? It's a lot different. I mean, I think there are probably as many people who have ever worked in the car industry in, in North America that it's just that they're not all UAW members. And a big bone of contention is the electrification thing because engine plants are going to go away, union engine plants, and they're going to be replaced by battery plants and those plants have to have elections for the union and there are no guarantees that those plants will be unionized and that's a big sticking point uh, with the UAW or whether the fact that they'll even be in the United States they may go to Mexico where there isn't a UAW right yeah well as we go on in the show, we'll talk a little bit more about this. Of course, uh, America on the Road is brought to you by DrivingToday.com, YourTestDriver.com, EMLancy.com, the publisher of my latest book, Dance in the Dark, and of course, Mercury Insurance. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at DrivingToday.com slash auto insurance. That's DrivingToday.com slash auto hyphen insurance. I guess I should have introduced myself. I'm Jack Nerad. You're, you're Matt DiLorenzo. Matt and I are longtime colleagues and friends. We've known each other for 30-plus years, I think. Uh, Matt is the author of the recent book, How to Buy an Affordable Electric Car, A Tightwad's Guide to EV Ownership. Matt, uh, 
a great book, uh, very apropos what you were just <laughs> talking about, electric cars. I mean, I, I don't know anybody who's more expert in that. What is your prognosis given uh, kind of the consumer an unacceptance of, uh, at least mass market consumers, unacceptance of uh, electric cars up till now? They're just too expensive yeah, for them, I think. I, I think they are. I mean, when I wrote the book, uh, there were less than eight EVs priced under $40,000. And then with uh, modifications to the incentives from about a year and a half ago, less there are fewer of those vehicles that are actually eligible for the $7,500 federal tax credit if you buy it. So the, the landscape has changed considerably. Affordability is the key if we're going to see any mass adoption of EVs, and they're just not out there right now. There are some, but it's, uh, you know, on a, on a straight up, I'm going to replace my uh, internal combustion engine car with an EV, you're looking at a premium of anywhere from ten to fifteen thousand dollars, and that's just not going to fly. And the the reality is that a lot of manufacturers are waking up to the fact that um, a lot of the early adopters and a lot of the really rich people who wanted EVs now have them. Now, what are they going to do next? Right. I mean, we reported uh, on last week's show that the next vehicle by about fifty percent of EV owners is going to be a gasoline-powered vehicle. Yeah. Which kind of makes sense when you think about it, because I, I think you're a proponent, too, of kind of this two-type, uh, you're a two-type household, right? You have right. a gasoline car and electric, and an electric car, car, and it makes a lot of sense. I don't think you would be comfortable all electric. Right. Right? You just, you you need that gasoline car for some uses, and uh, I don't know that we're ever going to get to this all-EV future that's being kind of pushed on us by uh, our own government. Right. Um and in a very short period of time, too. I mean, that's, right. that's an, another kind of vexing part about this, isn't it? I think that that's, that's, a, that's a major point right there is the fact that the timelines, everybody was saying, well, like Mary Barrow was saying, by 2025, they were going to be selling 400,000 EVs a year. She's backed down from that claim now. She's saying maybe 100,000. Well, that's a pretty big climb down. Yeah, and, uh, exactly. you know, to your point earlier about, about the next car that these people get, with uh, is uh, have an electric is going to be a gas car. I would be really interested to see what they're going to do with that electric car. Are they going to trade it in, mm. or are they going to keep it as another car in their household that they'll they'll drive on occasion? I, I kind of suspect if they're uh, wealthy enough that that may be the case that that they would pass it down to a child or or just keep it around as backup transportation. Yeah, I, I think another thing that we've talked about a lot on the show, Chris Teague and I. Uh, is the fact that really electrics have come to be luxury vehicles. I mean, they're, right. they're, they're um, making some inroads on the luxury side of the market. Those people can afford, pay premium prices. In fact, they kind of like to <laughs> in some ways, right? It, it's a badge of honor to them. But for the mass market and to, to get kind of universal adoption of electric vehicles, you have to have the mass market accept them and it's just not happening at all, really. No, and I think price is a big obstacle. I, I do believe uh, probably the smart play for people in the future, and you're going to see more people adopting the cars, um, they'll be leasing them. Because there is a loophole that if the vehicle is leased, it's considered a fleet car. So even if it's not built in the U.S., it's still eligible for the federal tax credit. Um, there's a lease deal right now in California where a Kia Niro is going for 269 a month on a 36-month lease. A Kia Nero hybrid goes for 309 a month. <laughs> so I, I see that as a way. And then the retail price difference between those two vehicles is $13,000. 
So the um, other way, the other way. Yeah. So yeah, the, the manufacturers are really, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're really backed into a corner on, on the whole um, affordability equation. And that's going to be a big obstacle to overcome. Not only from the consumer side, but for them to try and bring bend down the cost curve on these vehicles. It's just not happening. Yeah. Well, we've always uh, heard there's going to be a battery breakthrough and that will lower the prices. We have seen economies of scale will lower battery prices. None of those, neither of those has happened up till now. Right. I, it doesn't look like it's over the horizon. You know, we always hear about solid state batteries, but they're they're one of these always 10 years off kind of thing. And whether that uh, they're yeah. going to pan out as being cheaper or not, we shall see. I mean, as an expert on, on electric vehicles, what, what's your kind of prediction over the course of this decade about what's going to happen? Well, I think vehicles. solid state batteries are great clickbait <laughs> on, <laughs> on the internet. I get right. so many headlines with somebody saying, Toyota has it, and, and they do. I mean, I think that that technology is coming, but is it scalable? Is it affordable? We don't know yet. We, we, we just, you know, it's one of those things that always seems to be two or three years out, and, and we've been to this rodeo before, so. It, it relates to what we're doing with car, truck, and uh, utility of the year here in, in Ann Arbor because we're testing all kinds of vehicles and we're testing sure. gasoline vehicles, uh, hybrid vehicles, and uh, all electric vehicles kind of together. Uh, they're in these three categories and it'll be interesting to see how it all pans out because there's a lot going on about that. Well, here, here, here's a story I, and I really wanted your comment on this because I, I really got kind of a kick out of the story <laughs> actually. This is from the Washington Post and the headline is this, GOP uh, states raise fees on electric cars as gas tax revenue falls, which is accurate, right. is accurate. The point of the story, though, is that these uh, heinous Republican-controlled states are trying to thwart EV growth by raising fees on electric vehicles uh, to registration fees of $200 or more in, in some cases, right. right? EV advocates, sorry, this is a subhead. EV advocates say it's an effort to block sales of environmentally friendly vehicles. Well, I don't know of anybody on either side of the aisle who's against the uh, allowing consumers to choose whether they want to buy an electric vehicle or not, right? I mean, right. Wh I, is anybody against electric vehicles? I don't think so. <laughs> Governments exist to tax people. Right, yeah. And if they're not getting the tax revenues from the gas pump from electric vehicles, they're going to raise the vehicle registration fees. Right. I live in, in blue California. Very my, blue. <laughs> very blue. And my 2022 LEAF annual registration is $500. And the reason it's $500 is because I'm not paying the 50 cents a gallon state tax uh, on motor fuel. So uh, the, that's just a, a bogus argument for me because all states, they're trying to figure out a way and, and to I make up for lost revenues. Yeah, 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 yeah. you, you got to have sense. the roads fixed. Yeah, I mean, that's number one. I don't right. think even the, the most hard right uh, <laughs> Republican is probably in favor of having good roads, right? right. I mean, that's right. kind you of a, pay a, your a norm, fair share. normal function of government. And mm -hmm. electric vehicles are heavier on average than an average internal combustion engine car. So there's going to be more tire, and there's this is another great one, is yeah. tire yeah. wear causing pollution right. from EVs. But also road wear, you know, from 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 heavier vehicles. So yeah, you got to pay your fair share, and and I I don't think most people would object to that. But it's one of those hidden costs that when you buy an EV and then you go to register it, you go, 
oh my God, I'm, I'm paying, you know, three times as much as I, I did for my, my last car. You know, it's, it's an, a natural evolution of what's going to happen to, to the fleet as we make this transition. Yeah. Well, when we come back, we're going to be talking about what we've seen in the last couple of days here at North American Car Theater Testing in Ann Arbor. So stay with us for that. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road with Matt Lorenzo. This is Jack Nierad. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Matt Lorenzo. This is Jack Nierad back with you. And this is our uh, special from Ann Arbor, Michigan, where we're doing North American Car of the Year testing. Both Matt Lorenzo and I are members of the North American Car of the Year jury, and we, we found some interesting things. Each year, the North American Car of the Year jury names not only the car of the year, but also the truck of the year and the North American utility of the year. The procedure is we have 50 jurors, highly qualified from various publications, freelancers from across the country, and uh, even beyond the country, from Canada. Canada. Choosing these North American car, truck, and utility of the, utilities of the year. Kind of patterned after the European Car of the Year right. procedures that's been going on for decades and decades and decades. Very prestigious. Talk about the independence of uh, each of the, the jurors and, and why that's important. I think that was one of the big uh, proponents of the awards, um, back in the day was that you had sort of the Motor Trend Car of the Year, and that was it. And it was sponsored by one publication, and, you know, there was always questions about, well, you know, what's in it for them, that kind of thing. I think the European model, and then in the U.S., we decided that if you brought together a bunch of seasoned journalists from different outlets, you would come up with a more neutral third-party point of view. And, And actually, with many different inputs from 50 different jurors, you really do get a nice cross-section. So I have a lot of faith in, in the award and the fact that, that everybody is giving it their best unbiased approach to, to picking the best vehicle. Yeah. Well, having run Motor Trend Car of the Year back in the day and actually right. coming up with the procedures of it when I was editor of Motor Trend a long, long time ago, I can say that, uh, and now being vice president of the North American Car of the Year jury, we certainly do pick more consumer-oriented vehicles, I think, than, than Motor Trend I, would I, pick. I think that, that would be the thing. I mean, with an enthusiast publication, you're, you're more often than not going to give the nod to a, a fun vehicle, as opposed to the types of vehicles we look at are the kinds that, that ordinary, you know, the regular people who may not buy a Motor Trend magazine would be interested in. Right. Uh, well, let's go over some of the utility vehicle candidates. Of course, Utility vehicles, uh, sport utility vehicles, compact utility vehicles, et cetera, et cetera, crossovers are the most popular vehicles these days. So in a lot of ways, this maybe is the most important category, but certainly a, a very interesting category. And I'm going to read off uh, some of the contenders here because we narrowed it down to a semifinalist list uh, before we did the testing here in Ann Arbor. Uh, the Chevy Blazer EV and Chevrolet Equinox EV are on the list. They weren't here. Yeah. <laughs> Many of us have yet to drive them, uh, but those are contenders. The Dodge Hornet, the Genesis Electrified GV70, uh, the Honda Pilot, the Hyundai Kona in both EV and non-EV form, the Kia EV9, their three-row uh, electric vehicle crossover, the Mazda CX-90, kind of the successor to the Mazda CX-9 three-row uh, vehicle, and the Toyota Grand Highlander, and the Volvo EX30. And then there was a bonus contender, the Mercedes EQE, that kind of snuck in here. It yeah. wasn't, wasn't even on the list, right. but I drove it. 
talk a bit about this and you know how that maybe how these kind of separate themselves from one another well yeah there's there's um there's three kinds of different categories here that that you have to look at you know the more traditional uh, gasoline powered vehicles would be the um, the mazda cx90 uh, the honda pilot and the toyota uh, grand highlander so um you know those would be the ones that most people are actually buying um, we have some, uh, you know, the electrification is coming in. You know, you have the GV70 electric, uh, which I like very much. I mean, it's very much a luxury SUV, but it's all electric. And then you have the EV9, which is a three-row all-electric vehicle. And uh, I, I, and this is the one uh, category that I think is, is probably one of the more exciting ones are these small SUVs that are coming out. The Dodge Hornet has both a gas and a uh, plug-in plug hybrid, hybrid version. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, you have the Kona uh, that you talked about that comes in both plug-in hybrid and electric versions. And then, you know, you look at these smaller SUVs and they're more practical and more affordable. So it, it's going to be a very difficult category to judge, you know, to, to, to land on one vehicle that best represents that category. Yeah. And uh, as we say, this is an important category. It's actually several categories, right? You, there are the three-row categories. There's, five, there's the five-passenger vehicles. There's electrics. There's plug-ins. There's uh, all of these different kinds of vehicles. There's luxuries and non-luxuries. Do you have a favorite of uh, the ones you've driven, or you have comments yeah, I, on I, some I, of these? Yeah, I do. I, and I'm and I'm kind of you know on the uh, on the traditional ones. I I thought the Honda Pilot stood out for me. Uh, primarily for its drivability and comfort and, and uh, quietness. And it just was really a well-put-together vehicle. That's not to say that the, the CX-90 or the Grand Highlander were, were slouches. They're terrific vehicles in their own right. It's just that the Honda had a little something extra that I can't. I really just enjoyed that. Yeah, that maybe yeah. something else would. Yeah. Which and then, you wouldn't necessarily expect out of, you know, Honda no, is, is no. very kind of, down the middle, but uh, right. in this instance, I mean, maybe you're yeah. Right. So that was that was one. I was impressed with the EV9. I think that that's really kind of a breakthrough vehicle in the three-row uh, segment. There's only one other three-row uh, SUV out there, and that's the Rivian, and it costs uh, you know thirty or forty thousand dollars right. more. And I I, I do like uh, I, I'm a big fan of the Kona. I mean, uh, the fact that you can go either electric or you can go with a hybrid version is is terrific it's a little bit bigger than the previous one yeah and i thought the dart was just a lot of fun to drive yeah i mean i'm really curious to see the pricing of the kona ev yes that that might be uh, tip the scale one way or the other for me with that vehicle there's a lot to like about that vehicle from a right. practical middle of the market everybody can probably afford this or a lot of folks yeah. can but if suddenly that's $50,000 or something yeah. like that, then I'm, I'm going to say, well, I don't think so. Well, I'm a betting man. I, I, I think it's, <laughs> it's going to come in at 39900 which is kind of what the, uh, the Kia Nero EV is. And they're, they both share the same platform yeah. from the yeah. Kia Hyundai group. Yeah. It'll, it'll be a $40,000 vehicle, so a little base. expensive. Base. Base. Yeah. <laughs> when you equip it the way you want it, right. probably yeah. well over yeah. 50 Yeah, it kind of pushes it out of the category. But the uh, the end line and the limited versions of the Kona are very comfortable, um, yeah. more affordable. They start in the mid-20s. They're fun to drive. The the, the Hornet is more expensive. You know, it's actually built in Italy. It's It shares the same platform as the uh, Alfa Romeo Tonali, 
which explains why it's so much fun to drive. Says Mr. DiLorenzo. But it is more of an enthusiast uh, type of vehicle rather than a mainstream. I liked it a lot, too. And I think I like the, uh, I drove the Hornet RT today uh, at length when I had not driven it at length before. And right. it seemed like its drivability and overall, it, it seemed just a, a lot better put together than maybe the, the early production version that right. I drove Yeah, uh, that wasn't quite as well sorted out in terms of I think the most to, entertaining one for me was the EQE. <laughs> with the with the sound and the dash that would light up. Yeah. Did you get, yeah. Did oh, you yes. get that yeah, effect? Yeah, yeah, I did, yeah. I, you know what yeah. it reminded me of? an arcade game at a Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah, I felt like I was in a pinball machine. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I was uh, it suddenly was crazy. tilting or something. I don't know something. why they do that. I, I mean, and I, well, in, in Mercedes in particular, where you exactly. think it, it's like, dude, it would be the most staid, luxurious, Understated. Uh, 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 dignified I, uh, the, kind the of... The GV70 electrified came off as more Mercedes to me than the EQE did. Yeah. I think the GV70 electrified, or, or the electrified GV70, however they want to say it, I think it's electrified GV70, okay. the way they, they refer to it, is a really cool vehicle. I, I, it's, <laughs> it's one terrific. of the most terrific electrics I've driven, actually. It's one of the vehicles we haven't talked about in this segment yet is the Volvo EX30. We're yes. going to be driving uh, them soon. Yeah, soon. Uh, overseas, so uh, more to come on that. But uh, I'm, I'm kind of excited about that yeah. one because two things: one um, is its price point and its range. Uh, Volvo is promising for it to come in at about thirty-five thousand dollars, and it's expected to offer a range of two hundred and seventy miles, which is pretty good yeah. uh, in that price category. So, and it looks cool. I mean, it's the interior is nice. It's you know, it's not a particularly big vehicle, but it's. Uh, it's it's very interesting, and I'm I'm looking forward to getting yeah. behind the wheel. Well, Volvo has done uh, a very good job with interiors forever and ever. Right. And I think its this aesthetic and the EV kind of go very well together. So uh, it will be fascinating to spend more time in that vehicle. And uh, it's a real dark horse in the candidate in the in the category, and it could win. I mean, I I, I think if it drives well. You know, the pricing is right there where where it, it makes a compelling uh, case for itself and the range. Yeah. I think right now there's no leader in the clubhouse. No. I can't look at this list and go, oh, this is it. Right. And a lot, of, a lot of years I can in, in several of these categories. So It's going to take a lot of study. I mean, I'm going to look, you know, we, we get the uh, the window stickers and you got to pour over that stuff and see what the whole uh, value equation is against the vehicles that it competes in the market. You know, if it if it's something new, and I and I think that that's where uh, the pilot has raised the game of the three-row standard SUV, which makes a strong case for it. Right. Well, when we come back, we're going to be taking a look at the uh, truck of the year candidates as we go onward in our North American Car of the Year special with Matt DiLorenzo. This is Jack Nierad with you, and thanks so much for being with us on America on the Road. Stay with us, and we'll be right back. I got this letter from a reader the other day, and I thought I'd share it with you. I'm on vacation on the beach in Key Biscayne and just finished reading Dance in the Dark. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Great plot and twists I never saw coming. You're really good at creating visual images. Congrats. You made my vacation all that more enjoyable. This is just the kind of feedback an author loves to hear. I'm Jack Nierad, host of America on the Road and the author of Dance in the Dark, a crime novel inspired by true crime. 
Many have told me that Dance in the Dark has all the realism of fatal photographs, my true crime account of the famous bathing suit model murder case. That's great to hear because Dance in the Dark is filled with suspense, plot twists, and surprises. But at the same time, it's a believable story in the tradition of writers like James M. Cain, Jim Thompson, and Elroy Leonard. Dance in the Dark is available in paperback and Kindle ebook form from Amazon.com, and it's available direct from the publisher EMLancy.com as well. If you have a chance, please look for it. If it makes your vacation better, we'll both be happy. That's Dance in the Dark by Jack Arney Red at Amazon.com or EMLancy.com. Thanks for giving it a look. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Matthew Lorenzo. Jack and Red back with you for our special from the North American Car, Truck, and Utility of the Year testing in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And uh, This is a segment in which we're going to talk about the Truck of the Year candidates. And Truck of the Year is always a, a little bit of a different category because there are fewer trucks <laughs> than there are utilities or cars introduced each year. And um, I was disappointed, quite disappointed actually, that the Ford Ranger, uh, which was kind of, I thought, one of the favorites in this competition uh, entering, had to pull out, and Ford Motor Company said it's basically because of the UAW strike. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, we went from five to four. Yeah. All of a sudden. Yeah. And so here are the, uh, the contenders in that category, the Chevrolet Colorado midsize truck, and its uh, running mate, the GMC Canyon, uh, and I always feel kind of sorry for the GMC because, it, you know, it's, it <laughs> yeah, seems like the little brother. Yeah, yeah. In some ways, and I, I, well, like, we can talk about that in a second, but I drove the Denali version, which was kind of Quite zooty. nice, yeah. yeah. The Chevrolet Silverado EV, my first exposure to that. Right. Uh, fascinating. Ford Super Duty, kind of the right. F-150's bigger brother. So those are the contenders in this category. As I said, uh, you know, the Ranger, a mid-sized truck that uh, got a little early exposure to, it's a long time ago now, I think in the spring or maybe earlier than that, there's been a flurry of mid-sized trucks, right? Tacoma is coming from Toyota. Right. And then the Colorado and Canyon are both new enough to be in the competition. Take it from there. What do you think is, is important? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting about the mid-sized truck segment. The, the, they're bigger. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, I, I'm looking at these things, and they look like full-size half-ton pickup trucks of two generations ago. And actually, at the competition here, I give the nod to the GMC because Chevrolet only brought one trim level, which was the ZR2 Bison, which is an extreme off-road version, and they didn't give us a stepladder to help get into it. <laughs> <laughs> and you look out the, you know, there's a there's a, a, a bed-mounted uh, spare tire that blocks your rear vision. So I wasn't a happy camper behind the wheel of that vehicle. And it had big off-road tires. And you're usually so happy. Man. I know. Right, happy feeling. But it had the big off-road tires. It made a lot of noise. I got into the um, into the Canyon Denali, and it was wonderful. The interior was plush. It was very easy to drive, get into. I thought the um, the engine's performance was was great, and uh, I, I give them uh, kudos for making a really good truck. It is a little bit bigger than I would I would like for a midsize pickup, but um, but you like small vehicles. I You're do. You're a like. PT cruiser guy. You, yeah, you, you yeah, know, you've yeah. Got a I mean, I, Leaf. Yeah. I mean, the know. new Maverick is one of my favorites. It's a yeah. small, you know, so. The, the important thing about the midsize trucks, they're still garageable. Correct. Right. 
uh, and they're they're very adamant about. I mean, all the uh, makers of the midsize trucks understand that those buyers want these trucks to be garageable. Uh, garageable. They, they have to be a particular length. They can't be bigger than that. They, right. They can't be as gargantuan as the F one fifty and Silverado have become. And they're equipped to to do some towing, some decent towing, and they can turn you know over twenty miles per gallon. Right. So. I, yeah, I agree. I I, I, I did, did like job. the GMC Denali a lot. Yeah, you know, I think GMC. In fact, I, they even said this to me. I think we they said we found some white space here with this. It's right. this luxury mid-sized truck. You know, really well decked out. I didn't check the price, and it's probably pretty pricey. Sure. Uh, I'm sure I have the Monroney <laughs> here in my notes. I, I that was kind of a sleeper uh, that uh, you it know, was. struck me as this this is quite good and. There's really no comparable Chevrolet version that I'm aware of that's that's out Denali level in terms of interior finish. Right. Yeah, they they have something called High Country, but it's still it doesn't have and Denali has been around for a while right. and people know exactly what that is. So, um, yeah, I give them credit for having a really nice luxury entry there. Right. Ford Super Duty, I think, is just the stalwart, heavy-duty truck that we expect it to be. I mean, kind of no more and no less. I don't know that that makes it truck of the year, but it certainly is a, a great player in that area. I, you know, it, it was funny. It was easier to get into than the than the Colorado. <laughs> there was a nice step, and there was a nice handle, and I was able to get up in there. And once I was inside, I mean, it's a big truck. It is really big. It's powerful. But it drives a lot smaller than it actually is. I mean, I was very happy behind the wheel. Uh, it was very easy to maneuver. You get great visibility. And they have some of the best side mirrors uh, you can get. And, and especially if you, like, those trucks are used to tow a lot of stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's Those really mirrors are, are terrific. And I, I think uh, Ford has done an admirable job of upgrading the interiors. It felt really, uh, it felt very comfortable. Yeah. Perch. I think Ford grasps the fact that, you know, people are spending 80, 90, maybe $100,000 for some of those heavy-duty trucks, the super-duty trucks from Ford. And those people are spending that kind of money doing that kind of towing or whatever, they, kind of a luxury thing. They're towing a big Airstream or other trailer or horse trailer or giant boat or something like that. Uh, they want their luxury inside the vehicle, and I think they're getting it now. Right, yeah, and and I think that that's really... Uh, one of the things that sets a lot of these trucks apart is that they've become luxury vehicles. They're just not for work anymore. Yeah. Well, uh, which brings us, interestingly, to the Chevrolet Silverado uh, EV, the version I drove, and maybe the only version that was it's here, the only is, the, version. is the work truck, Correct. the WT, which I think is base priced at something like $79,000. So that's one, one, yeah, one that, stiff work truck. But, uh, you know, it's a fascinating vehicle to me how different it is from the Silverado and how different it is from the Ford Lightning. It is. It, it's, it kind of reminds me of the old Ridgeline. And, and the thing is that they it's not a body-on-frame construction like a traditional pickup truck. So you have, you have a side panel um, that is one continuous sheet going into the bed. This work truck, the reason it's so expensive is it's got the big battery. So the range on it is terrific. I think it was over 400 miles. Yeah, I looked at I, on the dash, and it's 435 miles. And I'm going, right. wow, this is <laughs> one rangy EV. It's, right? it's, am, yeah. it's amazing. Unfortunately, it's the work truck. So um, for that kind of money, you're not getting a particularly lavish interior. Uh, I did not care for the one-pedal driving feature. I thought it was way too aggressive. Hmm. 
And you're not it, a one pedal fan, though. Like I, I, I am, not. I really do like one pedal. Yeah. For did you drive it in one pedal? I did. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I did. Ju- it just you know it takes a little bit of mastery to you know, and you're good at that. Yeah, stuff. I'm really good. Yeah. <laughs> I have the one talent. I, ha- I don't have one, the, one pedal guy. Yeah, I don't have <laughs> the patience, so I I just switched it to the uh, standard regen, and I was I was perfectly happy. But this is the work truck, so this isn't the truck that they're promising the retail market. That's the RST, which is going to be as expensive or more expensive. And we're well, not going to see. Well, it's going to be you know over a hundred thousand dollars, I think. And we're not going to so. see them for a while. Yeah. You know, they're they're tooling up. This these uh, trucks are being built at what was uh, formerly Detroit Hamtramck plant, the main Silverado EV plant up in Lake Orion. Um, they've pushed back till 2025, the line there. So I give Ford a lot more credit for getting the F-150 Lightning out there. And my bottom line is that I didn't see much that this truck did much more for me than what a Lightning that is already on the market in a consumer. Except maybe 100 trip. miles more of range, Matt. Yeah. I yeah. mean, and that's a, to me, that's a big deal. Yeah. You know, it'll tow 10,000 pounds. Of course, if right. you tow 10,000 pounds, you're not going to get 400 you're miles You're going to get 200 range. miles of range or right. something like that. That's true. Uh, but it, it's, it was fascinating to me. One of the things I, I thought was interesting was the way they have stretched the cab. Because it's on a roller skate, because right. they have changed. It, it's, it's really way different a configuration than the typical full-size pickup truck, the it, typical it, crew cab pickup truck. It's like a third, a third, a third. You have a third hood, and you have the middle part is the cabin is a third, and then the rear uh, bed is about a third. Yeah. So it's really interesting. And the, uh, it does have a nice-sized frunk. Yeah, you know? well, I was going to say that. The, the, <laughs> the first third is this giant frunk, so a lot, of, a lot of area there for a lot of cargo area. I'm not sure which of these uh, I am going to kind of settle on <laughs> as my truck of the year but uh, there's a lot of good there's a, even though there aren't a lot of choices uh, you know it's going to be difficult because they're so di- they, yeah. they're so different and i think one of the things that i'm looking at uh, like i said with the with the um, the silverado it's it's really competing with the F150 lightning and the heavy duty uh, truck is competing with the other heavy duties yeah, out right. there yeah and I think that the uh, Colorado and the Canyon are competing with uh, things like like Tacoma and Ranger that are already out in the marketplace. So I'm 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 sort of leaning uh, towards the midsize truck, but um, yeah. And then I have to do more. Then studying. you congratulate Chevrolet because they're lower priced, or do you go to the GMC with the the Denali and kind of? The, I would have liked, you know, it was funny because there was a um, there was a Trail Boss version of one sitting around, and I asked them, and they said we didn't bring that one, so they don't know. I, I think another journalist had it, ah. and I really would have liked to have gotten in a different trim than the extreme off road version. Yeah, makes sense. Well, when we come back, we're going to be going to I guess the Big Megillah, the car of the year, North American car of the year. We'll discuss those candidates when we come back. So. Stay with us with Matt Lorenzo. This is Jack Red with you. And join us uh, right after the break for more on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Matt Lorenzo. Jack Red back with you. Thanks so much for staying with us on this North American Car of the Year special on America on the Road. We're in Ann Arbor, Michigan, doing uh, North American Car of the Year testing. Uh, now's the time to talk about uh, Car of the Year, North American Car of the Year. Uh, 
30th anniversary of this award. Some pretty cool contenders. I'll, I'll read off the list quickly here. BMW 5 Series, both versions of the 5 Series, the 5 Series and the i5, the electric uh, 5 Series. The Chevrolet Corvette E-Ray, the hybrid Corvette. A Ford Mustang in various versions. I drove the dark horse here for the first time. The Honda Accord. Hyundai Ioniq 6, of course, their electric vehicle that was, I think, World Car of the Year last mm -hmm. year. Uh, Subaru Impreza. Toyota Crown. Matt's nodding along because I think he likes that car. The Toyota GR Corolla, their racy Corolla, <laughs> you know, super trick Corolla. And then the Toyota Prius and Prius Prime. Again, a variety of vehicles. I mean, how would oh, you how would you separate all these? Huh? Well, it's from performance to everyday family cars to electrics again. Yeah. So I mean, the the ones I the fun cars, I love that little uh, Toyota Corolla. Boy, do I love that too. Yeah, that thing absolutely. is just a yeah. ball to drive, but it's not a car of the year. I'm sorry, it's fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, for a compact Corolla. For, yeah, yeah for, something yeah. that looks like a Corolla. Right. You know, I mean, it's it's got amazing specs. You know, it's got a three cylinder engine. Yeah, that's making three hundred horsepower, and it, it, it all wheel drive, and it comes as a manual only. So sorry, millennials, it's not for you. <laughs> yeah, well, I loved it. I absolutely yeah, loved I did. it. And on the roads, we we drove it here, and you know, west of uh, north and right. west of. Uh, Ann Arbor, it was a blast. So, and, and you know, on and, and the complete opposite scale of that is the um, is the E-Ray, which is really a terrific car, great technology, a blast to drive. I mean, the thing is a spaceship. But again, I I don't see it as the North American Car of the Year because interestingly, it's though, we named the Corvette correct Car of the Year a couple of years ago, right? So. And, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> <laughs> well, go ahead. It was mid-engine and affordable, and it was $50,000 less than a, the than nearest competition. Like, yeah, sure. This one competes with Ferraris and Lamborghinis, and it's also costs like a Ferrari or a Lamborghini. It's over $100,000. And Have you priced a Ferrari or a Lamborghini? Yeah, that's later? true. I mean, they're, yeah, they're more like $200,000. But I, I, to me, I... I as much as I appreciate the technology that went into it, I don't see it as a game changer. The Not way the way the other one was. Right. Yeah, the original right. was. Yeah. I, but it's I, really I, a cool car. It really is a cool car. And it uh, exceeded my expectations. And I'm kind of a Corvette guy. I think you know right. that. I've yeah. had a Corvette forever. And, and, and it was very easy to drive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's more of a tourer than it is a track car. Correct. And that's okay by me with the all-wheel drive yeah. you're not gonna have to worry about the weather and and those types of things and it's just really a it's it's just really interesting yeah. and when you want that instant torque well oh, the electric man, motor amazing kicks it's it amazing. in and there you go well while we're talking about performance let's talk about uh mustang a new generation of mustang or generation right. uh, of, of mustang dark horse kind of leading the the pack here i think the successor to the mach one right your take on that vehicle i you know i like the new mustang i think they did a really really good job with it it's a fun car it really merits consideration because it's kind of the last of a breed you know the camaro is going to go away uh the challenger is getting overhauled and that's old and going away so I give it a lot of points for just keeping the faith. And it's a lot of fun to drive. And uh, I think there's a, a, an affordable and it's still an aspirational vehicle. So uh, it's a contender in my book. 
Yeah. I mean, it's one of those vehicles that seems in a lot of ways like it should cost more than it does. Yes. Which is kind of rare these days where we're kind of blown away by how much everything costs. So, uh, you know, I'm right with you. I have liked both other versions of the, the EcoBoost, the four, uh, turbocharged four-cylinder, and then the typical V8 the GT. GT. And, and they've made quantifiable improvements in the body structure. And you can't, I mean... Uh, I went on the uh, the launch of the vehicle earlier when we were driving it in the Angeles Crest Highway. Yeah. And, I mean, it's really a solid car. Mm-hmm. And we drove a couple of those. We drove the GT and the GT EcoBoost, and the EcoBoost, the EcoBoost, EcoBoost yeah. during, during that event. Well, uh, BMW 5 Series. I haven't spent a lot of time in the 5 Series. I, I know a lot about it. I've always been a fan of the 5 Series. I've got to believe it could be a contender, especially when there's a electric version of right. it. I mean, what's your take on that? Well, I wish they would have had them here for us to drive. Yeah, I mean, would I help, it? Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, if it's anything like the i4, I was really happy with that vehicle because it looks conventional, looks like a regular 4-series right. car. It just happens to be an electric. And I think, you know, uh, we've gotten over this thing where EVs have to look different than other cars to, to be acceptable. You know, that was kind of the, the Prius's original shtick as a, as a hybrid is that it looked unlike anything else out there. And I think it helped its sales. Now that these technologies are, are almost interchangeable with internal combustion, I'm a big believer that you could still have a conventional-looking car and, and, and go EV with and it. And probably should. And probably should. <laughs> probably should have a conventional-looking yeah. car instead of a, a spaceship. And, and yet there's a kind of a spaceship on the... On the, um, <laughs> the Ionic 6. The Ionic 6, yeah, yeah, which is essentially the same platform as the Ionic 5 and also the Kia EV6. So I don't know that there's anything particularly new here. I think it's a nice car. I, you know, I spent a week in one a couple of weeks ago and uh, liked it a lot. But I, again, I'm not. I'm not certain. Given the fact that the predecessors have uh, already been out there, you know, and, there's and two things the about that vehicle. I got in. I was a little disappointed in the interior. Hmm. It's a little plasticky. Uh, it didn't deliver an upscale feel that the exterior promises. In the exterior, it does look like an upscale, upscale luxury car. But I still don't like the looks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's just yeah, it, the, the back end of it kind of falls away, and it's. It just and it, the trunk space is is, is horrible in it. Uh, it is it, it is a car if you want to stand out in a crowd. That's what you want to get. And then there is the Prius and Prius Prime, which I think they've done a marvelous job with the Prius this time around. I agree. I agree. And I think that styling was one of the things that was holding that car back. They kept trying to make it look different, different, different. And this time they said. Well, let's make it beautiful. Yeah, and it is beautiful. It is and, good looking, and it yeah. drives great. And you can get you can get it in either a standard um, hybrid uh, or hybrid plug- or the plug-in version, which gets about forty miles in pure electric range. So, it's a terrific car. It's it's a solid contender for me. Yeah, I think it's a contender too. Here's a vehicle I think we both like. I don't know that we consider it a contender to be car of the year. It's the Toyota Crown. I you know I like that vehicle. I think it it comes across uh, beautiful interior. It's very comfortable, very comfortable to drive, but it's still, it's, there's something odd about it that just doesn't, oh, yeah. it, it, just, it sits tall. It's almost like it's an SUV with wearing a, a car uh, a coat. Or or a yeah, 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 yeah. It just, um, it's nice. It replaces the Avalon. It drives well. But it, it ju- replaces the Avalon, but it's really not like the Avalon. No, it's right? a different. <laughs> it's a different car. So I think the styling is one of those things that you, you're either going to love it or hate it. Yeah. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays in 
the American market because it yeah. is a very different kind of sedan than before. Well, so that's our look at the North American Car of the Year, Truck of the Year, and Utility of the Year candidates. Have any parting thoughts about this stuff? Um, no, we did forget one, the Honda Accord. Oh, I should have talked about that. Yeah, a, a very important vehicle, too. I mean, kind of yes. so plain Jane, maybe I forgot it, but in well, a lot of ways, I, it's I, like the I perfect agree. car. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. And I think uh, I found a lot to like about it from a drivability point of view, much like the Pilot. I think, to your point, it, it can be a little bit vanilla in terms of its interior and exterior styling. Yeah. I, I wish I wish it popped a little bit more, but from a driving point of view, I, I like the car a lot. Yeah, from a driving point of view and from a convenience point of view. Exactly. It's just terrific. Uh, the the uh, upscale versions are hybrids. Right. Great fuel economy, great drivability. They've done a nice job with the infotainment system, finally. Yes. Uh, so all good stuff. So uh, thanks for pointing that out that I had forgotten that. Great candidates here. I don't think it, there's it's going to be a hard it's, it's going to be a hard call. You yeah, know, again, time, you have yeah. to con- consider where they are, what their significance is, and and the segment in which they compete. Yeah, and we'll have so. to do that. So, Matthew Lorenzo, the author of, tell me the name of your book, because I always... It's How to Buy an Affordable Electric Car, and it's the Tightwad's Guide to EV Ownership. And if you want to check out my website, tightwadgarage.com, and you can order the book there through Amazon or Barnes & Noble. And I recommend that you do that, because it's a terrific book. Thank you. Matt is a terrific guy. And please check out my book, Dance in the Dark, Crime Thriller. has nothing to do with cars much, although there are a couple of cool car chases in it, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so look for that. And thanks so much for being with us here on America on the Road. This is the reason we do the show is to uh, talk to you and we enjoy it. So uh, join us again next time for another edition of America on the Road. Inner peace, self-respect, emotional fulfillment. Are you finding these worthwhile goals difficult to achieve? Are you looking for success and satisfaction in your job but not finding it? Are you thinking about starting a business but don't know what will set it apart from all the others? You can continue to struggle on your own, or you can unleash the undeniable power of the GR Factor. I'm Jack Arnie-Red, host of America on the Road. For years, I've found success in business and in my personal life by using the concepts I outline clearly in my book, The GR Factor. Your best self is inside you right now, just waiting to be unleashed inspiring all that is the best in you. The GR Factor will guide your journey, elevate your game, recast your relationships, and transform your daily life. If you want to change your life for the better, read The GR Factor. It's available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and at emlancy.com. That's The GR Factor by Jack Arney Red. Thanks for checking it out. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.